Welcome back to the middle of culture. I'm one of your hosts, Eden. And I'm your other host, Peter. Hey, Peter, how you been? What you been up to the last couple weeks? Uh, not a whole lot. I won't bore the uh, listeners of the podcast to the rather extensive conversation we had uh, prior to uh, recording where I went on a long conversation about how I've kind of not been up to a lot that is germane to the podcast because I am embarking on this personal journey of self-improvement and self-realization that I am still questioning on a daily basis if it's worth it. So anyway, <laughs> how have you been? <laughs> I, I have been busy. I have been a busy little bee. Um, so first off, uh, I, you know, I maybe mentioned on the podcast, but I moved jobs last year. Um, and here's one thing that I have realized. There are some departments at a university that have more money than other departments at university. And okay. do you know what a department has a fairly decent-sized budget? IT. So when you're oh. in the IT department, you get things like annual bonuses. And so I got an annual bonus this year, and I was like, mm, what should I do with this bonus? So I got myself an e-reader um, the last couple of weeks, which has been really great. Um, I was really hesitant to get an e-reader because as we have talked about i think on the pod but definitely off the pod uh, just between the two of us i'm a very haptic person i i like sure. to read on paper that is my sure. my preferred method of reading a book if i can get it f physical copy i want to read it that way but the fact of the matter is it's 2023 there are a lot of books you just can't get on paper anymore and there That's are things true. that I'm interested in reading, things that I want to read, and I want to be able to read them. Um, so at your recommendation, I got a Kobo Clara 2. Um, oh, nice. Which is a great little device. It's like when it showed up, Cassie was like, that's the cutest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, <laughs> I know, right? It's tiny. It's small enough. You can hold it in one hand with like no problem whatsoever. Um and you know it's got it's got the nice backlight to it so i can read it when i'm in bed um it's you know it, i i got the cover that turns into a little kickstand for it so i can set it up if i want to just like have it hands free it's very cute um and so i've read three books in the last couple of weeks uh thanks to this little guy nice. um the the first one I read was um, the first in a new series by um, an author we've talked about before, Benjamin Shredunkiao. Uh, she has the the second book had just come out, and these two were both digital only, and that was kind of the thing where I was like, I've been thinking about it. I just got this bonus. I'm gonna buy an e-reader. Um, and so I read the first book in this new series of hers called The Cognate Coefficient. The first book is called More Than Utopia, um, and it is you know. It's a really cool story about alternate realities and multiverses and all that sort of stuff. And like what happens when you love your wife so much that if she's dead in your reality, you're going to find another one in another reality. Mm. Real wife guy energy. <laughs> cool. Um, but it was really fun. I really liked it a lot. And then I followed it up by, you know, when we read the Uncanny Magazine issue a few episodes ago, we both remarked that we really enjoyed that story by Aliette de Baudard. Um, yeah. So I decided to read one of her novels. I'd read, you know, I mentioned in that ep, I read the Obsidian and Blood trilogy years ago, you know, as preparation for an earlier iteration of my dissertation that never happened that was going to be more expensive than just comics. Um, because it is a, it's, it's a basically a noir series that takes place in pre-Columbian, uh, Tenochtitlan. Um, but so I wanted to read more of her after reading that and remembering, I really like her style. Um, so I decided to read the first of the Shuya universe books, which is her like big Vietnamese inspired space opera universe. Um, it's called the Tea master and the detective. Um, so I read that novella, um, and it was really, really interesting, um, I've heard it described, and I think this is not an inaccurate description. It's like Sherlock and Watson, except Watson is a spaceship. Oh, and yeah, so that is that is kind of how I would pitch this book. It's a Sherlock and Holmes. It's a Sherlock and Watson mystery, but 
Watson's a spaceship and Sherlock's a lady. Cool. Um, but I thought it was really cool. Um, and I have, a, you know, I have a couple other Shuya Universe books downloaded to the e-reader because um, we are getting ready to go out of town in the next couple of weeks. Um, so I'll be gone for a while. And so I loaded it up. You know how it is. You'll load up with oh, a yeah, lot totally. of books. Um, so we'll see if I get any more of those read. Um, and then the last one I read is a uh, kind of a comedy mystery called Our Monsters by Gemma Topaz, um, which is kind of a book about like, it, this, the the premise of the book is there is, you know, an alternate dimension or a shared dimension to our planet where all of the monsters, all the mythological creatures that we read about are real and they exist in this alternate realm. They have revealed themselves to humanity and there are certain places where the, you know, the border between these two realities is thin enough that they can coexist. Um and so this story is about a young woman who takes a job working for the like town council of the town of one of these interstitial places. So she goes to try to get a job with a bunch of monsters. And the only reason they even considered her for the job is because her last name was Dullahan and they thought that she was a Dullahan because that was what she put on the job description and that it wasn't just her surname. <laughs> So they were like, oh, we don't actually want to hire a human, but you're the only person who applied for the job. And we only even <laughs> agreed to interview you because we thought you were the headless horseman, but you're just a regular girl. Um, <laughs> but it's really fun, really flirty. Um, it's very funny. Uh, and I've been having a lot of, I had a lot of fun with it. It was a really fun book. Nice. Um, and then I also I played a video game that I, I don't know that it is a great game, but it feels like a great game. And I okay. think it's really special. Even if I'm like, when I look at the constituent parts of it, I'm like other jobs do or other games do this better, but this is a game that combined all those things into one. And I feels really special to me. Okay. Um, and that, and that game is Harvestella, um, which is a, the, the way it was pitched is that it was, harvest moon or stardew valley with a bit more rpg in it than those okay. games have that's a lie this is just a full fucking rpg that they just stapled a farm on the hip of like that's what this game <laughs> is because it is not you know i've played i've played a lot of stardew valley i've played a lot of harvest moon i like those games i like a farm sim game pretty well you know they're great fun to sink 50 to 100 hours into there's not really any ending to those games you know you just you play them till you feel like you're done with them you know you go around you make friends with the people in the town you set up a farm you make a lot of money you get some animals you know in stardew valley for example you go into the cave maybe you do a little bit of combat in the cave so that you can do you can get some more minerals and things but like that's not the point the point of the game is farming and making a, you know attachments to the people in the town harvestella is just an rpg it's just an rpg with l with everything that that entails it is it, it is very combat heavy you do a lot more combat in this game um you know there are i think there's like 12 different combat classes you can unlock during the course of the game wow um, which you can swap between and you can have up to three equipped on yourself at any time. So you can swap them with a cooldown on a hot, uh, you know, like a, like a button, you know, you go in with a party of at least two uh, with two other people. So it's a, a three person party. Um, and there's just like dungeon after dungeon after dungeon. And so you'll go through these dungeons. You'll like go through a level and you'll work your way through stuff and get in a lot of fights and pick up a lot of like materials and stuff and you'll unlock a shortcut and then you'll like have to look at the time and you'll be like okay what time is it it's it's 4 30 p.m if i'm not home by midnight the game kicks me out and i faint and then i have to wake up the next day at noon so my day is shot because i didn't wake up at 6 a.m i woke up at noon and i'm gonna owe the doctor 1500 bucks so like ugh, can't do that so do i try to push forward or do I just call it for the day? Go home, go to bed early, wake up the next day. So that is all happening in this game. There's a lot of side quests you can do. You can go all over the map to all these different towns, do tons of different side quests. 
You get a ton of different companions you can choose from, all of which have this long series of quests that you complete to raise your relationship level with them. You know, like when you play like Stardew Valley, for example, you raise your relationship level by walking up to someone, saying hi, and handing them whatever food they like to eat. You know, you're like, oh, this person likes fruit, so I'm going to hand them this strawberry I just grew. Sure. But like in this game, it's like oh, I need to go and help you through your existential crisis. And that's what makes us closer together. Because <laughs> <laughs> like nearly every one of these people has some sort of existential crisis that you help them work through. And that is how you become closer to them. Um, and it's it takes a lot of really big swings in terms of its storytelling. Like nothing outside of the norm of like JRPG stuff, but like it it really swings for that stuff and is really a full fledged role playing game. But also when you wake up in the morning, you're like, shit, I got to go pick all these onions and I got to throw some of them into the juicer because I need drinks so that I can go to these dungeons because everything hits like a ton of bricks. So I got to drink potion or I got to drink juice constantly because it doesn't fill up your fullness meter, whereas food fills up your fullness meter. So you can only eat so much food, but you can drink a billion drinks. So if I'm going into a hard dungeon, I got to walk in with at least 45 drinks. Which means I gotta, which means I gotta farm that many tomatoes and then put them in the juicers and then make the juicers make the drinks. So it's really interesting in which like when you're playing Stardew Valley, especially like by the end of the first year, but especially by the end of the second year, like you have automated it in a lot of ways. You've got your sprinklers out. You're just going through planting stuff, picking stuff, selling stuff, trying to become a millionaire. Like you are trying to just accrue as much money as possible. Genuinely in this game, by even by the very end of it, I was never farming because I needed money. It was always like, well, I need to make this specific, I need to be able to make this omelet dish because it gives me stamina back. And I know I'm going to run out of stamina on this boss battle because I died to it yesterday, lose because I lost my stamina. So I got to make this stuff. And like it was constantly a pressure of like, I am growing all this stuff because I need resources to be able to get through these dungeons instead of I'm growing all this stuff so I can make money. So it makes for a really interesting uh, um, tension that you don't usually get in those type of games. Sure. But it's really cool. Like, I really feel like it's a really special game. And if someone was interested in a farm sim and has never played a farm sim, but has played RPGs, I would say play this one. Or if someone likes farm sims and is like, well, maybe I want to try something that is a little more involved. Harvestella is a really good choice. Um, I played it on a combination of either my Steam Deck or my PC, thanks Cloud Saves. Um, and it played like a song on both places and it's on, nice. I know it's on switch too. Um, it probably doesn't play quite as, you know, I'm sure your frame rate's not quite as high on a switch as it is on a steam deck, but I'm, I've heard it plays really well there too, but I really liked Harvestella. I think it was really, really fun. And like, I stayed up to like 1130 last night because I was trying to get to the end of it and trying to beat the final boss. And it was a blast. I had a really great time, nice. Very but, cool. but I, uh, you know, uh, you you play Stardew Valley, like I said, until you feel like, I think I've done enough. And, you know, who knows how many hours that is. This had an end. I got to the end. I beat the big baddie. And then it was like, I'm only going to play this long enough to see, my, see what the marriages look like. Because, of course, this game has romance. So I needed to wait, like five days after i saved the world and then the mayor showed up and he was like here's how you make a promise ring and then i was like okay let me make a promise ring and send a letter to the big hipped goth milf lady who runs the orphanage in Nemea who i want to marry <laughs> so me and the big uh big hipped goth milf orphanage running lady got married and then i'll never play that game again probably until i decide <laughs> to start over in a couple of years but uh it was really fun good good and then the last thing I want to mention, uh, I got a new job on top of my other job. Um, oh. I am currently working part-time at a comic book store here in town. Oh, excellent. Which is, which is a lot of fun. I go in on, you know, I talked with my bosses and they were super cool about it. And I just like 
massage my schedule a little bit to still get my 40 hours in at my regular job but that means that i go in wednesday mornings so for those of you who aren't you know stalwarts at your local comic store uh new comics always come out on wednesday morning um so that was the time when they needed help the most so i work on wednesday mornings and then i work on saturdays um and i've been doing it for a couple weeks now and it's just really fun to like have a different style of interaction than i'm used to in a in a job setting you know i've been working i've been working for the university for 13 years at this point either teaching or as an administrator and so it's just very different to be to be working in a retail situation um but it's also really fun to be able to talk with people and be like what are you interested in and oh what could i maybe recommend seeing what you like and sort of you know what sort of things you're you're interested in what are some things that i think you might really enjoy um so i've been having a lot of fun with that and it's made me think a lot about comics um and talk a lot about comics which has been really fun um so i'm really eager to like spend more time reading more comics nice that's awesome and it helps that since I work there, I'm able to like look up if things are available for ordering. Um, sure. Because I don't know if I've, I don't know if I mentioned it on the pod. I think I maybe did. Um, but we, uh, you know, last year we read uh, the first volume of Kaoru Mori's um, A Bride Story, which is my all-time favorite comic. She has an earlier comic, uh, Emma, which is set in the Victorian era. And in January, I think, they, were, they finally like released a reprint because it has been out of print since 2015, but only books one, two, four, and five were available anywhere online. So like, oh. I was like, I gotta buy them because I don't know when this is gonna be in print again. And this has been confirmed by the owner of the comic store. Manga publishers are garbage at keeping their stuff in stock and at letting you know when things will be available and when they will go out of stock. <laughs> so like, if it's available, you gotta buy it. So I bought it and then I've just been like sitting on it because I didn't have book three and I knew I didn't want to read books one and two until I had book three and I could read them all at once. Sure. Um, And it's just never been available anywhere and it's not been reprinted yet. I, I, you know, I reached out to the publisher and they're like, we're thinking about reprinting it. Shrug emoji. Um, (laughs) But I was able to search, you know, in the database, the ordering database, and it showed up in one of the three ordering things. Um, and I, so I was able to get a copy. It's a copy from the 2015 printing, not a new printing. So I do not know where this distributor got their hands on a copy because it is literally out of stock everywhere. Wow. But they were able to order it in for me. So now I got it. So it's time to start reading some comic books. Very cool. So that is what I've been up to. I've been busy. I've been a busy bee. It sounds like it. I haven't been nearly as busy in in that way, like I said, but I did have a couple things I thought worth mentioning. I uh, slowly chipping away at the wheel of time every once in a while. Started working again on book 11 today while I was doing yard work and housework and stuff. A couple things in terms of music. Uh, the band Tesseract released uh, the first single for an upcoming album of theirs, and I really, really dig it. I'm digging it a lot. And it reminded me that I quite like Tesseract. So I've gone back and have been listening to some Tesseract. And in sort of a similar vein, I, I would I would say these two bands in many ways have, uh, have some strong similarities. Uh, the band The Contortionist released finally on kind of streaming uh, the digital version of a you know during the pandemic a lot of bands would do these quote live concerts where they played live but there wasn't an audience there and they recorded it and they filmed it and you know kind of did that thing and so they did this uh, over the course of three nights and they released the uh, digital of this and I started listening to it and again was, was reminded that I really like The Contortionist as well. So I've been listening to some Tesseract and The Contortionist uh, in addition to my fairly regular uh, consumption of uh, the album Holocene by The Ocean, which again, you know, didn't really click with me the first when it first dropped and I listened to it a couple times and... 
I think I actually referred to it to uh, some friends as my least favorite album from the ocean. Uh, and I would hmm. have to say that I was very wrong. It oh. is probably now in my top two or three favorite albums by the ocean. It is. Wow. I don't know. Just listening to it a number of times, it all of a sudden clicked for me. It's a very different feeling album. I didn't read this firsthand. I read this that somebody was saying they read this. And so I don't know if this is true or not. But somebody was saying that they had heard from uh, Loic Rossetti, the vocalist, that this was mainly their keyboardist's album, that these were all pretty much ideas that he'd come up with, and then the band kind of fleshed them out. And this person was citing that as a complaint about why would you let one person uh, write an album for the whole band and then put the name, because they didn't like it. But I really dig it. It's a very different feel. A very different vibe. It still is very recognizably the ocean, but a lot more atmospheric, a lot more, a lot more synths, a lot more kind of electronic elements and stuff. So I've <laughs> uh, been really getting into that one. And then uh, the boys and I last Saturday went to uh, the movie theater to watch a little movie called uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. Nice. And I'm a huge sucker for the Mission Impossible movies. In fact, the more I've been thinking about it lately, the more I think I could honestly say, I think that Mission Impossible is my favorite movie series of all time. Wow. Like even Mission Impossible 2, which is the worst, mm. I desperately love. I think that it's, I love it. It's It's got so many weird things and, and, you know, it's, it's most people, maybe not everybody, but you know, most people would say that it's their least favorite or the worst. And I still freaking love that movie. I think it's ridiculous in a lot of ways, but I love it because of that. And, uh, so yeah, a dead reckoning part one, there were a few things that I, I didn't love about it. Uh, but it was a good movie that has me very excited for part two, uh, whenever that may come. So well, I'm jealous. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I want to. I too am a have become kind of sicko's mode for the uh, Mission Impossible movies. I oh, will have to so say, good. for me, number three is the worst one. Philip Seymour Hoffman, be damned. I do not like J.J. Abrams' movie, and <laughs> I think he's a bad. I think he's a bad director actively, and I think that that is the weakest of the movies because I enjoy a John Woo movie. Oh, when the doves look. when the doves fly, so too does my heart. I mean, come on. The explosion, also, his slow waving also, hair. No. The mm. doves. I mean, come on. You need to watch more John John Woo movies, my guy. Here's the thing. How am I supposed to take serious that Nathan Hunt would break up with Tandiway Newton? To be with Michelle Monaghan, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't see it. I don't see it. You know, I was, I was talking to someone at work about the movies, and, and I was talking again about my, um, my deep love for Mission Impossible 2. Uh, again, despite many of its flaws, I, I still I absolutely love that movie. Oh, me too. And I'm not going to lie. Tandy Newton is probably one of the reasons. Just really. She's gorgeous. I mean, she's great. Oh my she's, gosh. She owns every scene she's in. Oh, she's, she's so incredible. good. Yeah. So I don't know. I love, I, you know, and I haven't watched Mission Impossible 3 in a long, long time because I remember when I, the last time I watched it, it felt a little too heavy. Like it, and like it was uh -huh. trying to be too heavy. Yeah. And that's what I have really enjoyed about four or five, six and, and into seven. I think they're doing a better job. I think Christopher McQuarrie, and I know he didn't do four, Brad Bird did four, but you know, Christopher McQuarrie's done five, six, seven, and then eight when it comes out. I think he does a really nice job of balancing the tension, the excitement of kind of a spy flick, the action flick. But also 
you know, every once in a while, there's a little nod to the audience that like, yeah, we know this shit's ridiculous. And, and I really appreciate that. I feel like that was completely missing from three. I think that was actually a little, there was a little too much of that in four, even though I really, really like four. Uh -huh. um, but I, I really like, again, these last three, I feel like they've, you can tell they know it's a little silly, but at the same time, they're embracing it. Mm -hmm. And and I appreciate it. So yeah, no, yeah, I can I, say worth going and seeing if you can in the theater because it's big and it's fun. And the boys and I loved it. It's a little long, but you know, it was good. I, I really like the Mission Impossible movies. I'm still number one stan of the very first one. I think it's the oh, best it's of them by a country mile. But that's because I think Brian De Palma is a better filmmaker than all of the rest of those dudes, all four of those other directors combined into one. But that's just me. I like De Palma. He's a weirdo. His movies are weird and lurid and horny, and that works for me, apparently. <laughs> apparently. So that's about it, though. That's kind of what I've been up to. I'm excited to see it. I haven't had a chance yet because I know I have to go by myself because Cassie doesn't give a shit. So uh, <laughs> I haven't gotten around to it. See, that was the nice thing is my boys were both like, dad, let's go see Mission Impossible. And I was like, cool. And I said to my wife, I was like, do you want to come? And she's like, I'm good. You guys enjoy. And see, that's why I do get to go see Barbie tomorrow because my wife does want to see Barbie. So I will report back next time how I find Barbie. Excellent. I am interested to hear because interestingly, I have zero desire to see either Barbie or Oppenheimer. So no Barb no Barbenheimer double feature for you? No, just not feeling it. Um, I mean, I'm not, not I'm not feeling interested. I'm not feeling Oppenheimer because I just don't care for Chris Nolan as a director very much. So I'm like, meh, I'll, I'll pass. I'll, I'm fine. But uh, okay, so here, I, here's where I'm going to go into a really brief little Oppenheimer nerd hole here. Please. And, and again, this is me not having seen the movie. This is only listening to a few things about it. And a lot of the, well, okay, so I've only heard like two or three. So very small sample size here. But I've heard uh, a couple of people and, and some podcasts and stuff talking about it and, and really saying that, oh, you know, he does such a good job of really making you understand the world changed and with this and, and did it change for the better and, and all this stuff. And you know what I thought to myself, I thought, cool, you know, who already asked all these questions and told us all about this back in the eighties. Who was that Eden? I don't know. You tell me it would have been Neil Peart and the band rush <laughs> with the song, the Manhattan project. That's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that song. They already asked all of these questions. Rush already addressed whatever in, in a nice, concise five, five and a half minute song. They raised all the questions that it's Christopher true. Nolan is going to take three hours to raise. So I'm just it's saying, true. Chris Nolan, Neil Peart beat you to the punch. And he did it more concise and it's Rush. So fuck you. It was better. It, the one thing, this is not, I say this neither positive nor negative. Listener, you choose whether you think it's positive or negative. The one thing Oppenheimer has that the Manhattan Project does not is apparently gratuitous nudity with Killian Murphy and Florence Pugh. So. <laughs> You're right. The Manhattan Project by Rush does not have that. No gratuitous nudity in the Rush song. Neil, come on, come back from the dead, write us a gratuitous nudity song, and then we can really, really compare. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have been, you know, shit, shit talking long enough. We should move on to the main event because I'm very curious to talk about the main event tonight. So for this episode, uh, I had Peter do something I don't think that I, he reported to me that he had never done before. Um, and that is that we read a visual novel. Um, he did. And the visual novel that we read specifically is the Pillow Fight Games uh, uh, game, Heaven Will Be Mine. Um, to kind of set the stage for those of you who are listening, I think that I'll, I'll give a quick like intro. We'll talk about our general impressions and what visual novels are, how we found reading a visual novel, and then we can get into the spoiler space. But to, 
to set it, to contextualize Heaven Will Be Mine, I'm just going to read from the Steam page because I think it is so concise in explaining exactly what this game is and why I like this game so much. Heaven Will Be Mine is a visual novel about making terrible life decisions in the midst of a hot-blooded battle between giant robots. Select one of three terribly behaved girls to fight and or make out with each other in their struggle for the fate of space. There so, you go. Peter, how did you find the experience of reading the visual novel Heaven Will Be Mine? It was interesting now okay before before you tell me anything else did you read it just once or did you read it multiple times so that's what i was actually just about to say unfortunately because of a combination of things including not having a lot of free time like work has been super busy but outside of work has been really really busy the last couple of weeks i only got to do it once and I also need to, in full disclosure, say that it was in part because after I finished it the first time, I was like, I kind of don't want to read it again right now. That's in, okay. As one of the other characters. So I that read it okay. once. I played through it once. Uh, do you want me to tell you which character I played? Yes. Who did, you, who did you play it as? Saturn. Okay. Nice. I think that I, I think I'm very interested to hear about your impressions of Saturn's uh, route because when I first played the game three or four years ago, I only played it the once. I only read it the once, and I read Saturn's. And so this time, I well, I wanted to read it three times. I didn't get around to three times, but I did read both Lunaterra and Pluto's. So I think that we are in a good position to have recently seen all three of them. And to kind of contextualize the differences and 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 what it means to have these three different characters and, and the ways that the 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 story p- plays out between them. Okay. So you read you read Saturn's. You thought it was interesting. Tell me more about yeah. that. Yeah, um, I there were definitely parts of it where, in particular, the pseudo texting back and forth between Mercury and Saturn uh-huh. where Saturn was just way too twee for me. Um, <laughs> She's a brat. She was driving me crazy. And Saturn's a real and, brat. Well, and, and my kids will attest to this fact that, and they mock me for it and I embrace it. I'm okay with that. If I respond to a, one of my family members or really anybody, and my answer to whatever they texted me is okay. It is going to be a capital O, a lowercase K, and then there's going to be a period. Whether there should be or not, I don't care. <laughs> it's just the way I do it. And so, and it, my kids think it's funny and it drives me up the fucking wall when I get texts from my kids and there's the R's and the U's and everything's lowercase. And there's, I'm like, you would have had to have turned off your iPhone's ability to make that first letter uppercase, or you would have had to conscientiously make it lowercase before you sent that to me. And that makes me angry. And so there was a lot of that back and forth in that, that made some of those parts tough for me to get through because Saturn really is coming across as just this like petulant Gen Zer um, to, to kind of look at, you know, our make comparisons to our day for sure. And so there were parts of that that I, to just mm, kind of rub me the wrong way. Um, I felt like there was a, an effort, an attempt, and I don't know how well they pulled it off, at least for me, having only read this once, to really have kind of a meta commentary about what does it mean to be human? You know, That's what is 100% it? what this game is about. Right. I mean, that's it. That that's the gist of this. And, and again, you know, only going through it the once, I don't know if it really succeeded. And again, I don't think it's trying to answer that question either. No, I think that it's just trying to set this up as, Hey, there's a whole lot that goes into this. Uh, and so, you know, it felt like it was taking some big swings and I don't know if they all connected for me. I felt like it was maybe 50, 50. There were definitely parts where I'm like, okay, I see what you're going for, but 
Again, Saturn coming across as this petulant Gen Z slash Gen Alpha or where I was like, I didn't, I didn't ever, I couldn't connect to her. Mm-hmm. And, um, I felt like Luna, Terra and Pluto again, because I was only seeing them from kind of Saturn's point of view. Again, there it was interesting and I could see that like there was part of me that's like, I kind of want to see what is this like from Pluto? Because Pluto seems kind of a, a much more mature, at least again, from what I, uh, well, from what I could tell Pluto, you know, we've got Saturn here who again is the really young, obnoxious twee character. And then mm-hmm. we've got Pluto who seems like the very magnanimous, almost the very sort of. Uh, self-actualized. She knows, Pluto knows who she is. Pluto is. Oh yeah. And then we've got Luna Terra who kind of comes across more as the uh, I'm older and I'm bitter and uh, the world has done me wrong. And I'm just trying to kind of, you know, chew my way through whatever time I have left and stuff. So, and again, that's kind of an oversimplification, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what I'm saying more than that. That Saturn yeah. didn't connect. I feel like the other two may have more. Yeah. But I also so, wasn't really incentivized to go back and go through it again. Yeah, I definitely having read both Lunaterra and uh uh Pluto back to back, I feel like this is a game where you should read one route and then leave. Come back in six months to a year. And then experience okay. someone else route. Um, I don't think that you need to see them back to back to get more out of it. But I do think it's really interesting that, you know, you picked Saturn without you. I mean, you, you on the page, it like gives you a sentence long blurb of who these pilots are. So you kind of pick. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me tell you, I was playing this on my iPad because long story short, Thursday I went in. I had one surgery to do in the morning. But then because my nurses were doing procedures in the clinic that I have to be there for them in the building to be able to build for, bill for, uh-huh. and all this bull crap, I knew I was going to have some time. So I took my iPad in with me and I just sat on the couch in my office and ran through it. When I launched the game, Saturn was the default. That was the one that was selected. S- Saturn is the top. I think it goes Saturn, Pluto, Lunaterra. It went either way on the iPad. I could scroll up or down. So Saturn was in my Oh, Saturn's the middle. That's right. That's right. I think that's why the first time I played it, I also played it as Saturn because that was that first pick. And when I played it it the first time. It was just as simple as that. Yeah. When I played it the first time, I also played it on my iPhone, um, whereas this time I played it on my PC. Um, But... Yeah, so I I think that that is just, you know, that's happenstance. You were just like, uh, oh, this is the one that's picked. Okay, I'll pick it. Yep. Um, but I think that you really nailed a thing about who these three characters are. Uh, I'll give a little more context to listeners before we, you know, delve into these characters. So this is set in a world where there was some sort of existential threat that was perceived by the earth back in the 60s and so they created a space program where people left earth to fight against this existential threat to keep it from arriving at earth Um, and then there has been a series of people who have lived outside of earth's gravity Um, our three main characters as peter mentioned are luna terra pluto and saturn and that is kind of in terms of their age and in terms of their uh, experience as pilots lunatera was born on earth and chose to go to space saturn and pluto were both born in space and grew in space um, but lunatera is like a first generation pilot pluto is a second generation pilot so the first in space pilot generation and then saturn is like that brand new brand spanking new third generation of pilot. Um, and so they, they definitely reflect that age um, in the way that they interact with each other. Like you said, Luna Terra does seem older and colder and has seen just a lot more shit than the other two have seen. Pluto seems like she has, like you said, self-actualized like she has, um, separated herself from she has become more than human while still looking fondly at humanity and saturn's just kind of a little bitch and that's how Uh she is 
And that's what the, and that's what she is. She's a bratty bitch, and that's who she is as a character. But so the game, regardless of who you pick, plays over the course of eight days. And each day you will have a text conversation with your handler. Um, if you are Saturn, it's with Mercury. If you are Pluto, it's with Mars. If you're Lunaterra, it's with Europa. Um, and these people have different relationships with you um, and different reasons why they're working with you. You'll also have, you know, some comms that you can look at, some messages that are often like archival um, material that can give you more, uh, you know, background on what the world is that is built here. And then you are given on, you know, day one, you're given a choice of two missions. One is a mission where you'll be you know, fighting against one of the other two women and the other is a mission where you'll be fighting against the other two women or the other of the two women. So for example, if you're playing a Saturn, you'll have two missions presented to you, one against Lunaterra, one against Pluto. You'll pick which one you want to do. And then within each mission, you will have a choice to make where you can either remain faithful to the organization that you work for. I'll explain what the three organizations are in a second. Or you can choose to subvert whatever it is you're supposed to be doing in favor of your your antagonist, and which is how which is how you get to the makeout parts, as advertised in the in the Steam <laughs> uh, explanation. Um, so there are three groups here. There is um, L- Lunaterra works for a Memorial Foundation, which is the one that is closest to earth and whose goal explicitly is we want to be able to come back to earth because at this point earth has closed itself off to everyone who went to the stars the existential threat has been eliminated the existential threat literally ceased to be the first time pluto got inside the crin macula so that is what happened here it no longer exists and so memorial foundation wants to go home and that is where Lunaterra finds herself. She has, however, betrayed them twice and gone to work for the other two organizations for a while, but is now back. So that is where Lunaterra is at. She's old, she's scarred, she's bitter, she's cold, and she has been a turncoat not once, but twice, and is now back where she was before. <laughs> Pluto, uh, on the other hand, works for Cradle's Graces, which is... Um, a society that founded itself on the planet Ares. There's a reason why it calls itself Ares instead of Mars, which maybe we'll get to, maybe we won't, but it doesn't matter. Um, but it has a, has its goal to be to establish humanity as a force in space that we no longer need Earth. We we are now post Earth humans. That fundamentally we are still humans, but that we can grow out of what Earth earth's version of humanity is um and then lastly we have saturn who works for celestial mechanics whose entire goal is transhumanism to become something that is no longer human and that is where um you know their goals really are is to to ascend out or transcend humanity um and so then like i say in each particular day Whichever pilot you are, you pick one of these missions and then you choose, do I want to further the goals of my organization or do I want to maybe flirt or make out or fight a different way that maybe I lose this fight and that will help give more um, more power in this you know larger struggle to the organization that that other pilot works for. Um, so there is a series of eight days and each day you do one of these missions and then on the ninth day you see whatever you know ending you have unlocked based on your previous choices um so let's talk about that a little bit what ending did you get as saturn peter so let's just go full spoilers here um yeah full spoilers it's spoiler time baby um i i don't remember (laughs) no so like Basically, I, I went with the, I, at the, by the time it was all said and done, I was like 60% celestial mechanics, 60 something, 62, something like that. Uh-huh. And then kind of even between the others. So it was mostly, it was mostly celestial mechanics. And basically it was the, we're, we're ascending, we are transcending the transhuman ending, which you then 
kind of find out, at least the way I understood it, is kind of the leader of Celestial Mechanics who you hate and your handler Mercury hates probably more than you do, Iapetus. I got the impression that really his whole goal was to transcend humanity. So let's back up just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Eden talked about the existential threat. Yes. And all the existential threat turned out to be was just this like shadow of humanity echoing through time. So it wasn't mm -hmm. real, really. Nope. But as we see in all sorts of things in fiction and perhaps in the real world, you know, having this common ending, I mean, it's the same idea as sort of Watchmen, right? Uh -huh. We need a common enemy to unite against. Yes. And at the end of this, we have this trans, this transition, this transhumanism event. And then Saturn understands Iapetus only wanted that. So there was actually a non-human threat yep. that humanity could, uh, could unite against. Yeah, she realizes that not only is he a, just a bastard of a person, he also has manipulated this entire organization into trying to, like, make humanity stronger by giving them something to fight against. Yes. Because he just wants to go back to Earth and have a big baddie to unite everybody against and fight against. Mm-hmm. So that was the ending I ended up with. Yeah, but it ends with, you know, all three of the girls joining together. And Correct. becoming this transhumanist force together. Um, and, you know, it's, it, 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 it is them becoming something more than human and becoming something else entirely. And we don't, and we're left not knowing what the result of that is going to be. You know, there is a scene there. There's one of the scenes. Um, I think you probably would have seen it. Cause I think it was a Saturn Lunaterra scene where there are drones from the earth. Cause it's important to note all three of these uh, pilots pilot three different mechs. They're called ship selves um, in this setting. And these are specifically non-lethal machines they're designed to fight um and designed to like cause friction between one another but they're not designed to kill one another but earth's machines are explicitly designed to kill yeah yeah um, there is a mission where the drone things uh, are yes. attacking them yes um and so you know you are left with this understanding that earth has the technology to kill um, which is not something that at their base level, these girls in their ship selves had the ability to do. But maybe by coming be, by becoming something more, by becoming this you know higher level of self where they're no longer they're no longer an entity inside of a ship self, they are the ship. We don't know what's going to happen there. Like how does that change them? How does that choice to become something different change them? and sure. uh, and and that is kind of where, where Saturn's ending leaves us. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I said I got both Pluto and Lunaterra's endings. Um, I accidentally uh, got to choose which ending I wanted in Lunaterra's playthrough. Because if you get the, uh, if you get the control to 50-50-50, then you unlock a thing that says, okay, you, you get to choose what you want to do. Because oh. nobody has control. So you, the player, get to choose. And so I chose to do the Memorial Foundation, her, like the 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 loyalty one for her, for her specific group. Um, and then for Pluto, I like explicitly, I just got the Cradle's Graces ending that she was supposed to get. Um, sure. Like the, like the, the one that is what she wanted. Um, and so in Pluto's ending... She declares war on the Earth, essentially, and declares themselves as separate entities from the Earth um, and that they are no longer part of earthly humanity and establish themselves as this separate entity among the stars. Um, but Luna Terra's, I think, is the one that I find most interesting. And it was the one that I liked the most. Um, so in Luna Terra's route, uh, as I said, the goal of her organization is to be able to go back to Earth. Not mm -hmm. unlike what Iapetus wants in, in Saturn's route, but 
at least they're honest about it. At least they're honest that that's what they're going for instead right. of him manipulating all of these people into being making it so that he could go back and lead lead the war against these creatures he himself created. Um, and so there is this uh, this device that is going to allow them to go home to Earth that one of the people in Lunaterra's um, factions, Halamid, who is, of course, one of her exes, because Lunaterra has a long, long list of exes um, in this game. Pluto is one of them. Mars is one of them. Uh, Halamid is one of them. She's she's breaking hearts across the galaxy, this girl. Um, so Halamid has the, is now the chief scientist of Memorial Foundation and is using this device to try to make it so that they can go home. Um, it is this thing that will allow them to enter Earth's gravity again, because for whatever reason, they are not allowed. They cannot enter into Earth's gravity, um, but this device will let them do it. But basically what Lunaterra does is she changes it from a door into a mirror and reflects Earth's gravity back onto itself and then back onto the moon to basically free the moon from Earth's gravity, like metaphorically, obviously, it's still it's still a body that you know orbits the earth mm -hmm. um but basically those who want to go home make it home and those who don't want to go home and want to stay in space live on the moon now and the game ends with the three girls sharing an apartment and sharing a bed and it and it, it starts with lunaterra snuggled between the two of them and saturn's like i'm hungry i'm gonna get up and make something and pluto's like turn on the ac when you get up it's getting hot in here and so that is where the game ends is with the three of them still embodied still human not having become something else or grown outside of themselves but instead completely embodying who they are as people and accepting who they are as people and choosing that as the future hmm. and i think that that's my favorite of the endings that i saw you know i saw yeah. saturn's years ago and we just talked about it and i just really loved the way that lunaterra's ended um it's a little less conceptual than the others, but I think that there is a lot to recommend about the way that she weaves, like she threads the needle um, between what the other girls want and what her organization wants in a really beautiful way. Sure. So that's kind of what this game is. You go through, you read it, you make some choices, um, and then you see how things turn out because of that. Um, but there's a lot going on. Like, it is extremely metaphorical. Like, yeah. these battles are not, do not seem like descriptions of physical embodied mechs fighting with each other in physical embodied ways. There's a lot of metaphor. There's a lot of illusion. There's a lot of, you know, inference rather than than explicit, you know, telling you what is happening. Yeah. Um, so, like... How how did you find the experience of consuming a story in this way? Because it's a very you said you'd never read an, a visual novel before, correct? For the most part, I guess the one thing uh, as I was playing through it, I was reminded back to a series of iOS games um, under the moniker Lifeline. Uh, I don't know. Do you ever have you ever familiar with these at all? No, I don't think that I am. So uh, they are, I, I would say they're visual novellas or visual short stories. The text entries are not quite as long and the story okay. themselves aren't quite as long, but it was a similar experience where, and one of the cool things with Lifeline um, is if you, there are certain times where you're, you have to wait like the idea is that you are somehow communicating with the main character and they're like in some tricky situations. There's like a magic kind of themed one. Uh -huh. um, there's a, there's a lost on a planet in outer space themed one and stuff. And, and somehow you can communicate with them and you're, they're like, you are their lifeline. And so, Sometimes it's like, uh, I think, you know, you tell me, like, I think you should go do this. And they're like, okay, well, it's going to take me a couple hours to get there. And then a couple hours will have to pass before you'll get a notification that they're there. Sure. And it was kind of cool because I could get that notification on my Apple watch 
and you can actually see and you can respond on the watch too and stuff. So I have, it wasn't the very first time, but it's, it's something that I like from a theoretical standpoint. Mm -hmm. And I find myself having a little bit of a hard time with from a, an in practice standpoint. And I think a lot of that's just because of my very limited interaction with visual novels. Sure. I find that I want to, my brain starts to treat it like a game instead of a book. Uh huh. And I find myself trying to go too fast. Mm. And so I'm like, tap, tap, I'm tapping on the screen of the iPad. I'm like, come on, go, 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 tap, 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 tap. Um, and so that's, that, that is a, that is a me problem that I recognize. Sure. Uh, but I, you know, I'm, I think it's just because in games I'm so much, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm clicking on the screen. Let's, let's get through this dialogue. Let's get through this dialogue. Let's go kill something or whatever, you know, the game sure. is. And, um, my brain approaches it like a game instead of approaching it like a book. And so I think that that would be something that perhaps if I, you know, going back and playing this a little mm -hmm. bit of time down the road as one of the other characters, also when I'm not like, I got to hurry and get through this so I can make sure I finish this. We I can mean, talk yeah, well, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part of it. It's um, part of it. I think that if I wasn't, I think that, that going through it again, I would be in a little different frame of mind sure. instead of the, just trying to get to the next thing. It's okay. Look, look this, this thing in front of me is the thing. I don't need to get to the next thing. This is the thing. Enjoy the thing. Uh, and so I think that uh, I would like to actually come back to it, but I do want to wait a little bit. I want to wait a little bit of time. Uh, I think so that, that makes when sense. I do come back to it. Hopefully I've recalibrated how I'm approaching it in this. I'm reading this, the story the words on the screen are the thing. The choice is part of the thing, but it's almost ancillary to the reading of the thing. So don't be so worked up about getting to the next choice and the next mission. Read the thing. So, yeah, for sure. It's, it definitely takes that reframing in your brain because, you know, see text in text box during video game, read skim, click, click, click. But yes. that's not the way that you, that's not the way you're supposed to, well, it doesn't matter. It's supposed to, that's not the best way I think to engage with a visual novel. Cause like you said, it's the whole thing. It is. That's uh -huh. all there is. Um, yeah. I do think one thing about this one, I haven't, I'm not familiar with that lifeline one. So I'm very curious to see how it would work. Um, but one thing I really like about this one is the ways in which it's not a traditional, um, visual novel in a lot of ways because there there's really two different camps of visual novel there's kinetic novels and there's visual novels and a kinetic novel is just like we told this story in video game form and you don't make choices it's just the story as it is um so you know i kind of find those a little harder to justify their existence and not just be a book um mm. but you know i think that there are there are reasons why you might want to tell your story in that way even if you're not giving the character or giving the player or the reader choices um or or agency in any way shape or form um but then there is this other group of visual novels of which heaven will be mine is one where like the choices you make matters um where you know you in this one you pick which of these three character stories you're going to see you pick which order in which you uh you f go in these skirmishes you pick how you feel that skirmish should go whether it should go for your side or for the other side and one of the really cool um mechanics is that you know every time you go for your side it gives your side 12 percent more power every time you go for the other team's side it gives the other team 25 percent power Mm -hmm. So every time you make a choice against your faction, it is twice as harmful as if you had made the choice for your faction, which is an interesting tension um, and is how you can get to a 50-50-50 like I accidentally did with Lunaterra because um, I was not paying attention to the the that screen at all. I just wanted to go with what my gut told me were the choices I should be making at any given moment. Um 
But one of the other things I think that's really interesting about this one in comparison to others is the way that it tells the story a little bit differently than most of the other ones I've interacted with. It's not a traditional one in that there are things like those those text convos with your handler. There are things like those emails you can go read. And that's just not a very common thing. Usually in a visual novel, it is you know, the characters' faces on the sides of the screen and the box underneath where they're going through their dialogue. And that's kind of the bulk, if not the entirety of the thing. Whereas this gives you, you know, those three different modes in which you are interacting with bits of the story. Yeah. So I think that the, in, in terms of structure, I think it's really fascinating. Um, also, one thing it's got going for it, I think the soundtrack rules. I think it's got a very weird kind of off-putting, but very cool soundtrack. I didn't get to experience the soundtrack very much because I was playing it in my office and people were coming in and out and there was that makes sense. stuff going on. So that I, makes sense. I heard bits of it, but I didn't get to hear all of it. I think it's a really cool electronic, you know, uh, based soundtrack that really grants a lot of um environment and a lot of atmosphere uh that it's it's a shame that you weren't able to experience that more um because i think it's one of the things that it's another one of those things that is really unique about this game um in comparison to some of the other visual novels i've read i'll definitely have to make sure that the next time you know i've got some headphones and i can really appreciate that yeah, it's a cool it's a cool soundtrack. But uh yeah, I I am really glad that we did it. I'm really glad I was able to see those two endings that I hadn't seen before. Um and I just think I just think it's a really special type of game. Um it, it's a way weird it's a weird way to interact with fiction. And most of the time when I'm reading a visual novel, I think to myself, I could just be reading a book. This would maybe be better as a right. book but I don't feel that way about heaven will be mine. And I think that speaks to what the writer and artist and, and composer, because it is a team of three people There's a writer. And then the person who did the programming and the, and the art and then the composer and like they made something that really sticks out here. And I think that that's really admirable. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's I we haven't even we've run out of time basically but uh it this is a game that deals with a lot about bodies and talks a lot about bodies and what bodies mean and what bodies can be in really interesting ways um and fundamentally this is a game about queerness and about transness because both Lunaterra and Pluto are explicitly trans and so there are questions about how do bodies work? How do we change our bodies? How do we make the body that we are, that we have the body that we want to have? Um, that and these are questions that this game is asking. And it's even more interesting to me, you know, as a person, as a trans person who thinks a lot about trans and queer identity, and 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 being embodied and all of these sorts of things. One of the things that's most interesting to me is that. The ending where they explicitly transcend their bodies and become something else entirely is the ending when it's a cis girl making that choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really interesting to me. I had forgotten that that's how Saturn's ended. But uh, we don't. Yeah. We don't have a lot of time to talk about, you know, the politics of of bodies in in <laughs> queer and trans spaces, but it's a thing that I think a lot about and a thing that this game makes me think a lot about. Um sure. and I think that it's really special in that way too. Um because it can it, it if you as a cis person are reading or are reading this story, you can you can see to a certain extent how those questions are raised, how one navigates those questions, right, and how how one explores what bodies mean through this mech combat. Yeah, but anyway, it was very that's interesting, heaven. and and I, like I say, I enjoyed it. Um, it was definitely something that I'm like, okay, I need to experience this again in a different way, uh, and uh, yeah, 
So well, give it give it a few months and then give it another read with one of the other routes. And I think that it would be interesting to to hear from you how you felt about it a second time in a different setting with your expectations changed now that you've experienced and kind of know better what to expect from it. Yeah, no, we'll definitely have to come back to it and, and talk about it at least briefly at some point down the road. Well, thank you for indulging me. I'm glad that you, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad we could do it. Um, it's, it's a, it's a piece of art that I'm really impressed by. Um, and that I, I really just have nothing but respect for the creators, um, of this, of this game. I wish they'd give us another one, but AVB, the writer had to go get an actual job with a big studio and is basically the head writer on that game, neon white that looked cool, but I never played. Oh, well, it, good and I bad. Didn't, well, I, I'll say Neon White looked cool, but the combat sure looked like I would hate it, which is why I've not played it. <laughs> I didn't even look at it. I just mean good for them for it's you know, getting speed. A, you you got to have a good, you got to have a real job sometimes. But yeah, it's, it's too badly. Speed-based, run-based shooter where you're using cards to throw magic. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Nah. There are other things in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we'll wrap up here. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, please, if you have a moment, leave us a review or leave us five stars on your po- podcast platform of choice. Um, if you have anything you'd like to chat with us about, uh, if you really thought that Pluto's route was the best, let us know at uh, <laughs> feedback at the middle of culture.com. Pluto's route is great. Lunatera's is better. Um, <laughs> I just like Lunatera. What can I say? Um but we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode, which I'm very excited to find out what we're going to be doing um, after we get off this call. Um, and until <laughs> then, take care of yourselves. And we'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye.